I think I had a lot of support from the DC comedy scene. Um, Cause I didn't even know that the news people was gonna reach out. This was like something that all the comics did. Somebody had reached out and they did a write up and it was just like, it was just happening. It was like so much happening over time. And at the time I had two concussions. So I wasn't even fully processing everything that was happening. And then like while I'm doing these interviews, I'm getting a headache and it's like, okay, I have to wrap this up cause I have to go lay back down. So it was just, it was like a lot, but it was just one of those things where it was like, are you gonna let this incident define you or are you gonna use it to make your purpose even bigger for your mission? Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. For the past couple of years, we've had showcases featuring DC's Best Comics every other weekend at Big Hunt. Starting this week, we're bringing DC's Best Showcase to Thursday nights at 8 o'clock. Our normal free show will move to 9.45, so if you're anti-paying for things, you'll just have to stay up an hour and a half later. To sum that up, DC's Best Showcase every Thursday at 8 o'clock. It's a ticketed show. We'll have a free show at 9.45. Also, this weekend, Friday and Saturday, DC's Best Showcase is at Big Hunt and Doug Smith at Draft House. You can see our entire schedule and get more info and tickets on the website. Our guest today is Paris Sachet. Paris was a great DC comic for years before moving on to New York. After being brutally attacked outside of a nightclub in DC several years ago, Paris was able to turn her experience into a source of strength and inspiration. She found her voice on stage and cultivated a persona to match it. Soon after, she found herself progressing through the clubs in DC before being selected to the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal and eventually being passed at the Comedy Cellar in New York City. I grew up in DC and then I later moved to PG, then I moved to Silver Spring. Okay. I yeah, just so moved I was, to Silver Spring myself. Yeah? Yeah. Good place. Yeah, it is it's nice. It's changed over the years, Yeah, it's yeah, good. It's Yeah, good. it's nice up there. And uh, before you started doing comedy, did you have an idea what you wanted to do? Before I started comedy, when I was still in high school and first two years of college, I wanted to be a lawyer. You wanted to be a lawyer? Yeah. So you were in college, you thought you were going to be a lawyer? I was in high school, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, uh -huh. and then I did some interning for some uh, lawyers in D.C., so I actually went to the courtrooms and like interviewed some of the people they had locked up. And I was like, this is boring. Too boring. Yeah. I I remember when I was an intern in college, I was uh, an economics intern, but there were law interns there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just doing kind of research and I could kind of do it the way I wanted to. And they were always in the library with these just surrounded by stacks and stacks of files and books yeah and they had to read all of it it seemed awful man i, I felt so bad for those those so uh, law students it's a lot of reading and a lot of researching things that you really don't care about no yeah it's, i know yeah it wasn't I, I the one final day i was like okay this is it this is an intern i don't have to come was back. there something in between that and comedy uh before comedy so then i just started taking like small jobs i worked for the government for two years okay um i got in through a lady at, uh, i went to church with she got me in uh and then i was like wow they really want to know all your business here yeah so i did that for two years and then once i started doing comedy i started working at a restaurant i worked at the cleaners how long, like, so did you start thinking like, all right, I'm just going to get some jobs to get by so that I can focus on comedy? Yeah, in the beginning. Because once I, when I first started comedy, I didn't have a job. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't have a job at all. So I did my first mic, and I was like, oh, this this is the thing I should have been doing. Like, I felt the feeling I never felt before. So I was uh, like, okay, this is this is the one. Cool. Um, And then I, started, I had to start picking up, like, small jobs in between because, you know, people – it's like, when is the money going to come in? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just having fun. Right. But it then, takes a while for the money to come in. Yeah, the money doesn't come. Even when you think that the money's about to come in, it's still yeah. not the money that you think. Right, right. So I <laughs> yeah. feel like you should just do it because you love it and then just let the money come. Don't have a specific set amount of money to make because it might not go as planned. Yeah, it will also limit uh, your your opportunities because some opportunities, they might help your career, but they might not be money you know uh, that's a lot of it though that's yeah. a lot of people see people working it's like oh they're doing this but it's like it looks good but it's not the amount of right. money that it looks like right it's like it's just a stepping stone to the mm-hmm. next thing that you're gonna do so you uh i remember you when you first started mm-hmm. you were coming in you looking more like a government employee yeah you know <laughs> than a famous comedian Okay. But part partway through, uh-huh. you kind of did gradually, you just gradually changed into that. I grew into my, I don't care if I don't fit the description to have a, a nine to five job. So uh-huh. I, I was able to create my own look once I stopped yeah. caring about what the jobs told me I could not wear. Was was cutting your hair off a big part of it? Uh, cutting my hair off was, it was a choice. It was like, uh-huh. uh, I need to save money thing honestly is that right yeah that's where it came from that's where it came from it you was didn't like want to have to pay to get your hair done no it cost a lot of money for it to look nice you had to spend a lot of money so i was like if i could take something out the budget yeah what could it be and my hair was like 200 dollars out the budget yeah 200 to 25 did you notice a, a change in how people were reacting to you after after you cut your hair i felt like yeah yeah i think that people Looked at me more like now I had an image for my name. Right. It wasn't like I was just switching the look. It was like, oh, she must be serious because uh-huh. the brand is coming together now. It's starting yeah. to make sense. Yeah, and the brand really did come together. Yeah, the brand came together. Because it wasn't there at first. It's not you, you didn't you didn't come out on stage just like like you you figured it out in your room and then you showed up one day as no. Paris. You know. No. It w- there was early Paris and then it was early. Pa- it wasn't even Paris Sasha in the beginning. It was just Paris by itself. Okay. Yeah, and then oh, later yeah. on, I was like, oh, well, maybe I should just use my real name because it's a... Is that your real name? Yeah, Paris Sachet. I didn't know that was your real name. Yeah, that's my first and middle name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's cool when, it, uh, when it's actually your name and it's not, you know, made up. Nobody not thinks it's real. Every time I have a meeting, no, it like, doesn't is sound it true? I'm like, no, this is on my it, idea. It 100% sounds made up. But Yeah, that's good. I think my mother had a vision for what I needed to do in life. Yeah. Um, so... When you were, where were you going up at first? When I first started, my first room ever was Ray Lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did RFD. Mm-hmm. Then I did Blue Banana. Mm-hmm. And then rooms just started rotating. So you started doing like the district comedy rooms at the time. Mm-hmm. I think those was like good rooms at the time. They were the good rooms at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially RFD was like one yeah, of the Yeah, RFD be- was like the, the room to yeah. do. Like if you got on that list, it was like, oh, you must be good. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and then you did you did have a kind of scary incident where you, where you got attacked by mm-hmm. some dudes and it was I mean pretty serious. It was it was deep. It um, was deep. They were kind of I guess giving you a hard time on the sidewalk and. Uh, it was just a 
I feel like it was a situation of a guy not being able to take no for an answer. Yeah. One of those things you hurt where it's his like, ego too much. Yeah. I, I feel like when men get their egos hurt, then it's like, well, I have to hurt you as a woman because why would you hurt my ego? Yeah. I don't think it was like a logical thing. And I think he was drunk because we were also leaving the club. Uh huh. So I think a lot of things came into it. Yeah. But it was just one of those things where it was like, are you going to let this incident define you or... Are you going to use it to make your purpose even bigger for your mission? So how, how far into stand-up were you when that happened? Was that three years? I would Th- guess around that. I think yeah. like three or maybe like three and a half. I still mm-hmm. had a job when that happened. Okay. Yeah, I still, I wasn't. And so it, when it happened and then you were on the news from mm-hmm. it, it got and it got written about. And did did you get more attention? Were people reaching out to you? People from were that? reaching out to me. I was like receiving emails from like women all across the world, like different states that I did not know. And they were like writing me saying how like I was a story that they looked up to, like I was motivation for them to keep going, to chase their dreams, to just be strong. Was it because of the way that you responded to it happening when people were at, when, when the news stories were happening, was it your reaction that people were identifying with i don't know if it was my reaction or if it was the story in itself and just the way that i was handling yeah the way you were handling it yeah i think a lot of women look because like i read some articles where they were like comparing that story to a lot of different stories that was happening in different states Mm -hmm. with women and men Mm -hmm. similar situations some worse some the women were getting murdered Mm -hmm. so they were like looking at it as like oh well she decided to keep going even though she has to heal and do all this, she already has shows playing. Because at that time, I think the DC Improv reached out mm-hmm. to do their mic like the following week. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to heal, but I also was like, I'm just getting good at this comedy. Is that thing. A like, co- I can't you think that's a coincidence or because of it? <sighs> I don't know. Hmm. I don't, I really don't know. That's interesting. It was I like wonder. one of those things, like before I started comedy, seriously, I was still going out uh-huh. to the club. So I was right. still like, partying hard yeah before you took over your life completely right. so then it was like in the transition of me being like okay well i can't do that because i'm taking comedy series yeah and then it happened there so i felt like it was a message for me because it was like okay this is a message in itself saying leave that lifestyle get out of the environment altogether. yeah right yeah wow what a positive thing to take from it for yeah. me you know because you can go a lot of different ways when something like that happens you know and it's uh and i think it is inspirational to take a positive approach to dealing with it and to try to just make your life even better and Mm -hmm. push you even further toward your goals as a result of the adversity definitely and i think i had a lot of support from the dc comedy scene um because i didn't even know that the news people was gonna reach out this was like something that all the comics did Mm -hmm. somebody had reached out and they did a write-up and it was just like it was just happening it was like so much happening over time and at the time i had two concussions so wow. I wasn't even fully processing everything that was happening. Wow. And then like while I'm doing these interviews, I'm getting a headache and it's like, OK, I have to wrap this up because I have to go lay back down. So it was just it was like a lot. Yeah, that is a it lot. It was a lot going on. But uh, with a lot of support, a lot of love, a lot of strangers uh, depending on me, I felt like a superhero in a sense. Yeah. To keep the mission going. Yeah. And to fulfill my full purpose. Yeah, that's really cool. So when you were going through your your process of learning how to do stand up and trying to you're trying to get in at the improv you know mm-hmm. you're trying to get in at all the good shows mm-hmm. 
And eventually you started doing my shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you started doing first. Maybe Vendetta or Big Hunt. Uh, uh, I think I did before those. There was What was the room called that was on like the side street not too far from here? Townhouse Tavern? No, I think this was like a Tuesday. Was it Big Bear Cafe? Oh, Buckeye and Bear. Buckeye and Bear. That's the first yeah. room I did in yours. Yeah, right on M Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was our Tuesday night show. That was the first one. Yeah, that place did not last long. but uh, I liked it a little bit, though. It I was felt like it was, it was good. Oh, I mean, the room was really cool. But mm-hmm. they, the guys that ran that place, they just, uh, they never, it seemed like they never tried to get anyone to go to it. Mm, maybe that's what it was. Like any days, like co- not just comedy days. Like there was never anybody. They didn't, and they, they built this whole, whole stage and they were going to have all these bands play. Mm-hmm. And then they never booked any. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was nicely set up. I thought it was perfect. I think it was a good room. It was like a, you have to really perform. Like the people yeah. were really listening. And if it wasn't funny, they wouldn't laugh. And you would feel the unfunny of it. Uh huh. Yeah, because that was a free show. But it was like nobody was going to that place for any reason. So right. the people that were there came specifically to see a comedy show. Right. And there's nothing else <laughs> going on. And they, they sat down. And it's kind of like being at a comedy club. But it's a Tuesday night free show, so it's kind of weird. Yeah, and they're taking shots. It was good, but it, it, it was yeah. It definitely was good for like the learning experience. I think the comedy scene at that time prepared me for the things that I'm doing now. Yeah. Did you do you feel like you know Big Hunt is like a very specific room and has like a specific type of audience, mm-hmm. and they get they they can react to things in a weird way mm-hmm. and it, you can see it throw people off when they come in from other cities. Cause they're, they're kind of caught off guard. And, um, did you feel like when you started performing here that you needed to change the way that you performed at all? Or was it, you were able to just be yourself and they responded to it? I think I was able to be myself when I started performing here. And it was just like, if it's some things they don't gravitate to or they don't like, it's probably because it's too honest. Mm-hmm. I think people get upset with honest comedy. So I think it was a thing of like that. And I had already prepared to deal with those type of audience before Big Hunt. Okay. I felt like just as I started to get good and started to branch off into the different rooms, more of the comedy club vibes, mm-hmm. it already was a different audience. Yeah. But I feel like as long as you're funny, even if you offend them, you can still work your way out of it. So yeah. I feel like it was one. Of, I think Big Hunt was definitely like a learning experience to see like how you can deal with a lot of the rooms, especially in New York. Yeah, because I think what it is, is they are afraid that they're like going to have the wrong opinion and they're going to laugh at the wrong thing. Right. And so when you bring up wh- whatever topic that they're afraid of, mm-hmm. you know, then they shut down. Right. And um, but I think the you know, what allowed you to talk about those topics and, and still have successful sets is just, you know, you just presented confidence, you're calm on stage. And Mm -hmm. so if they're quiet for part of it, they don't, they're not into something you're saying, you know, it doesn't rattle you, you know, you just, you stand there and then you move on to the next thing or you continue to make your point. Mm -hmm. And they'll eventually get, they eventually, you know, get on board as, as a whole. And uh, it seemed like people really uh, gravitated toward you Mm -hmm. just, I think, from your personality, you know, just just uh, the way that you carry yourself on stage. I think it is, you know, it stands out from other comics in terms of some people stand out for their joke writing. Some Mm -hmm. people have like over the top 
big energy like you know caisson like you, mm-hmm. he'll have these huge laughs like he'll be screaming on stage hitting right. the wall stuff like that mm-hmm. um <laughs> you know but you have like but you're you're like a i don't even know what you are you're like a lifestyle brand kind of okay i like that <laughs> i like that i think so and i think i inspire women when they see me they're like oh she's dressed and she's funny i can do i think i make comedy look easy uh-huh yeah. I think that's a big thing where people are like, well, if she's doing this and it's good, it can't be that hard because look at her entire image. Like right. She just makes it look like a, a fun thing to do. Yeah, definitely. So then eventually you you became friends with Che and Nemish. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you um, get to know them? Was that from the festival? That was from the festival. I didn't know them. So you for, did you open up for Che? I opened up for Che. Um, and then after that show, it was like, oh, you cool and you funny. We like you. So then we went out. Did we go out? To, we went to a party. I think that um, the festival at the party. Oh, yeah. At and the then we exchange, Yeah. We exchanged numbers. And then when he came back to do the Howard Theater, they reached out to me. Yeah. And then Amish reached out to me when he came back. And then me and Shay, after the Howard Theater, we went out to dinner. We went, Well, breakfast after the club. We went to the mm-hmm. club. Cypher Sounds, me, him. Went to the club and then we were like talked in the club and then we went to breakfast, dinner and then we stayed there till like four o'clock in the morning. It was a good conversation. Um, That's cool. And we were just talking about comedy, New York. He was like, "You need to move." And I was like, "I, I it sounds beautiful, but New York isn't cheap." Mm-hmm. And then he was like, "Okay." And he gave me five hundred for each show. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Well, you can at least come up there for the month and just figure it out." And I was like, "Oh wow, this is." He believes in me, so yeah. I really have to act on it now because I can't say, well, nobody didn't give me right. a shot. Right. Like, that's a free month of rent. Yeah, so yeah. So I did it. So were, I went you for thinking, were you thinking about going to New York before that? I was thinking about going to New York, but I also seen a lot of people leave their hometown where they worked to have a name at and then go to another state and then have to start over. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the right connects, it'll be way harder and I didn't want to go through that. I was like, if I go to New York, I need to have people that can vouch for me so I won't yeah. have to take the bottom level of working right. my way into the New York scene. Yeah, I think everybody kind of had one idea, you know, maybe like six years ago where mm-hmm. it was like you get to a certain point, then you just move to New York and you just suck it up and go through it. And then so many people had a hard time up there from D.C. especially. Yeah. Uh, over the maybe the last five years, maybe. And... Uh, and I think it kind of everybody had that same thought as you, which is like maybe I have to be careful and like strategic about yeah. when I do this. And then, wow, what a what a break. To, yeah, I think to it was get. good. I think the way I played it was smart. It was good. I was able to develop contacts and connects. And even so that when I was thinking about moving um, and I did the show, one of the agents was here when the mesh was here. Okay. And um, I met her then, and then I was able to make a meeting with her and set meetings to go to New York to get a manager. So it like, all worked out in the perfect time of me wanting to go. So you went up to New York, and you mm-hmm. met with a manager. I met with the manager. I met with the agency. Um, I took my mom with me so she can feel the energy and the spirit to make sure it was good. Okay. Uh, you trust it worked your mom? out. Yeah, I trust my mom a lot. Okay, that's good. So we had a meeting. It was only supposed to be for an hour. It ended up being like two hours and 30 minutes. So I was like, okay, this is good. Yeah. Um, and then a month later, they set me up with UTA mm-hmm. so they can come to a show to see if they wanted to uh, to sign me. And then they came to the show. I killed the show in New York. <laughs> we 
we agreed. So then, so then I signed with them. So then I had a manager and an agent. And then you moved to New York. And then I moved to New York. And how long before you started performing as a comedy seller? Um, I moved to maybe like almost a year, like a okay. little before a year. But it, when I first moved to New York, I was there for three months at first. And then I came back. Okay. So me actually being at the cellar, it was like after I went to Montreal, the following that November, I passed with the comedy cellar. How was Montreal? Montreal was beautiful. Yeah. It was amazing. It was good because I was like, wow, I heard so many people from D.C. Like it's so hard to do and to make it pass. And then I made it the first year. Uh huh. And I was like, okay. Like, I'm too good. But then I was like, wait, I need to be humble. Uh, right. So I caught a Greyhound from New York to Montreal just so I can stay humble. Really? Yeah. I caught, you did it I on purpose? On purpose. Okay. Just so I can stay humble. And I didn't need to fly there. That was too much. It was yeah. like I, I got picked the first year. I'm gonna. It was too much for me. Well, that's, I mean, it worked out, I guess. Yeah. So I stayed humble. And then I ended up seeing another guy who actually took the Greyhound as well. And then I got there. It was beautiful. It was It was perfect. It was a good time. Uh, met a lot of dope people. I feel like it's like a dream for comedians coming up, for yeah. a place to be. It is. Yeah, it is. I went this year. I'd never been before, and I mm. went just to uh, check out some comics. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a really neat festival. It's really it's so good. There's so many great shows and so many great comics, like, running around and, like, so much going on. It's, mm -hmm. all, it's definitely fun. It's a great place to network. And I end up uh, staying an extra day. Um, Little Rail was there. So mm -hmm. he t asked me to do a show, which was the following day. So I stayed an extra day to do a show. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met Wanda Sykes. And what did, uh, what did you end up happening with Wanda? It was weird because I just thought it was a regular conversation. She was in the, I didn't know who was in the crowd because uh -huh. it was pitch black. So she was in the crowd. And after I got off stage, she came backstage. We were talking. We were talking about DC. We were talking about comedy. And she was like, you're so good. Took some pictures. And then three months later, I got a call from her production saying that she requested me to do our show. Wow. So it worked out. It was it was perfect timing. Yeah. I felt like I felt like it was well. So I took a plane back home from Montreal. I was oh, like, okay, okay, now I can take a plane. <laughs> <laughs> now I can earned the plane. It. You earned yeah. the plane. Yeah. You earned the plane but plane back. And uh so what how did you end up getting into the cellar? Did you have an audition or was that part of the sh the Comedy Central show? No, so I passed before the Comedy Central show. So they had been giving out. It was a lady that was working on the team for Comedy Central. And she had been dropping names to the people at the cellar. Mm -hmm. So between that, and I'm not sure who else vouched for me. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure it was some comedians if they asked. Yeah. I don't know exactly who it was. But between that and those comedians, um, Esty, who books the Comedy Cellar, sent me an email asking me to come in and do an audition. And it went well? It went well. The first night, so... The night she asked me, I was out of town, so I came in town, I think the following week, and I, the show that I was supposed to do, I ended up getting bumped to the next show. So then they was like, we don't know where we're going to put you in the lineup, and then I, f I think Mike Cannon was on stage killing. I mean, yeah. like wall-to-wall -wall <laughs> laughter, and they was like, how do you feel about going next? And I was like, I mean, I don't feel. I guess I have to do it because I'm here. Yeah. And I followed them, did five, killed two. It was good. As soon as I got off, she was like, you passed, send me your schedule. Nice. I was like, oh, this is, everything's <laughs> happening with perfect time, and this is okay. How often do you perform there? Um, As much as I'm there, I travel more now, but when I'm there and I send in dates, I'll be there weekly if I'm in New York. Nice. At least three times a week. And are you traveling to headline? No, I'm traveling to feature now, so now I'm okay. picking up on uh, the feature spots. I feel okay. like headlining is coming this year. Yeah. Yeah. 
You're who are you opening for? I was just traveling with Michael Rappaport just now. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was it's it's fun. He packs out the shows. It's a good time, and I do twenty five. I'm about to travel with Roy Wood. Nice. Um, that should be really fun. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, that's definitely exciting. It's definitely. I mean, obviously, headlining is great, and like, you you know that will. It's not. Yeah, very, it's come. not very I, no far rush. away. But it's great to uh, get to be around those types of guys, like those types of comics, those mm-hmm. headliners, like Wanda Sykes and and Roy Wood, like incredible people to meet and like be able to talk to when, when definitely around. just to have like a regular conversation is always amazing i mean that's what the seller's good for yeah because you're surrounded by headliners uh-huh. and you have to follow these people and it's never a time where you can be like uh, i don't want to take this spot mm-hmm. it doesn't matter who drops in you have to follow this person right and believe in yourself while you're doing it and every set's recorded how do you are you feeling uh are you feeling confident in those in those situations when people are crushing in front of you or there's still situations where you're like, I don't even want to go on stage? No, right now? it makes me actually it makes me have to work. So I appreciate that. Yeah, that's it's good. like you don't know me and you know this person who has an HBO special and sells uh-huh. out shows. And now it's like I have to go behind this person. So right. if I can still keep the crowd attention and make them laugh just yeah. as much, I think it's good. And I, I don't really have a problem with it. I feel like the seller makes me better in a sense of that. I mean, it's the best attitude to have is embracing people that are strong going in front of you because everybody's got to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And if you embrace it, you're going to handle it better than if you dread it or if you're mad that you that they put you there. Right. And then you're like resentful when you go on stage. Like it only holds you back to have right. that attitude. I think it's a weird thing of like once you start at open mics, the mindset is like if a headliner goes in front of you, you're not going to be able to pick up the room. I think that's right. something that people have starting to open mics. But then as you grow, you realize if the comic before me kills, it's easier for me because they're already on my side. Right. Yeah. So when you get to that point of thinking like, OK, this is better actually when they kill because it makes me have to work less then you'll understand and appreciate. I had a moment of that when I was like maybe doing don't block the box like Mm. maybe five years ago six years ago Mm -hmm. and jamel was like really good it was like really it was like kind of like peak jamel like right Mm -hmm. when all his best (laughs) jokes were like fresh and he was excited about him and he was crushing all Mm -hmm. over the place then and i had to follow him and he crushed and i was like wow i'm fucked You know, there's no way like i have no energy i have no charisma compared to that Mm -hmm. but the crowd was so hot that all I had to do when I just walked on stage and I just told my first joke and they got a big laugh. So I mm-hmm. just had to keep telling my jokes and just ride that energy straight through my set and then just got off. And then, you know, and then the show just kept going. It's like if you can learn to do that and right. not get freaked out by it, it's a it's a really good skill to have. But it's a, you have to have it at the cellar. You have to. You have to. De- yeah. You can't perform at the cellar. Yeah, you and, like, won't survive. Low self-esteem because. They're looking directly at you. And when they don't know you, it's also like, well, why did you pass this person if they're yeah. not good? How has it been like, or is it, has it been an inviting environment for, with the other comics and everything? I think so. I think everybody's pretty cool. I think um, for the most part, everybody I've met, they've been super cool, super friendly. That's great. I think it's just a, it's a thing of just proving that you're there for a reason Yeah. type of thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean... You hang around with the people that you know, you made relationships with. And I like to, when I meet the 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 big names, I like to meet them with somebody that already knows them. 
because then it puts a different like eye on you. Oh, so when yeah. I meet some like when I met Chris Rock, Michael Che introduced me to him. So it was yeah, like, oh, well, if this person is introducing you, it must be important. Yeah, it definitely makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Do you have plans for like your career? Like, do you have like a vision for your career? I have a vision, but it's it's a lot. It's a lot of things. Once uh-huh. I got like once I left DC and went to New York and really started understanding the business beyond stand up, because I right. feel like in DC, it's just becoming the greatest that you can be in DC. It's not like people aren't here writing blogs in a crowd every night, and the writing is not as much as in New York. It's not meetings. It's not like auditions. It's a whole different world. Right. So once I went to New York, I had to adapt to this whole situation like you can walk up on the stage one night and be like i'm just gonna fuck around tonight sure and it's like three different people in the crowd writing blogs right and it's like i forgot that it's so serious here yeah so um that so i started writing so it's plans to uh produce my first show that's what i'm I'm working on that now going back and forth um putting out a comedy album um i think i'll be headlining this year no rush for it though i appreciate the featuring because they sell out their own shows and then I just show up and perform. Right. So I like this. I like this middle spot right now. It's also like a, a, they got a better lifestyle, like yeah. being in theaters and stuff and like nice hotels. Right. Whereas it's like so much. when you had like when you headline, you'll you're going to be back in that middle level. Right. Of, it's going to be like they're still going to give me the, the, the low part of yeah. like you're still underground. So I still you still that. take care of you, but they're not, not going to pamper you. Yeah, you don't get the top-notch experience. Right. So I'm still enjoying that, and I feel like it still makes me work hard mm-hmm. because it's like these people don't know me. So I walk out, and the Roy Wood show is sold out. They're there for Roy. So I have to impress them to be like, oh, she was good too, or to be like, well, we just came to see Roy Wood, and it was a good show. Do you think about trying to get more social media followers from those shows? Um, I think I get a lot of followers from the shows. Yeah. I think a lot of, like, I got a lot of support from just, like, the shows alone. Yeah, because I could imagine, you know, and this is an idea, you know, a, a thing that agents think about, and it's hard to know how possible it is, but the the idea of, like, you're going to travel to these cities with these different, with these different headliners, and it's like, mm-hmm. now you've been to Cleveland three times. Now mm-hmm. you've been to Chicago four times mm-hmm. and you know each time maybe you pick up 50 fans mm-hmm. you know or something like that and so when you go there a few times then you start to get a little bit of a a little bit of a following then when you go back to headline there will be a little following there and then mm-hmm. you, you grow it from there um, definitely i think that i think that that is exactly what i do i think i have a lot of fans from places that i've been and they're like when are you coming back or mm-hmm. we wanted to see more of you we wanted you to headline so mm-hmm. i get a lot of those things right I'm like when it's time, I feel like when I go to the places uh-huh. with the club promoting half uh-huh. and then me packing out the other half, we'll sell out the shows. Right. I don't want to rush the hell on this spot because yeah. when I get it, I want sold out nights. That's good. So I, I think that's coming. Um, acting. I've took some voiceover classes. I'm uh, doing voiceover auditions. That's cool. So I feel like that's another thing. Um, that It pays the bills. You don't you don't know that when you're in DC, sure. but a lot of writing in New York makes the money, and there's oh, a yeah, ton of, of voiceover work. Of course. So. And there's like there are now cool shows that are animated that mm-hmm. are actually interesting shows that you could end up doing voiceover work for that 
you know, it can just pay the bills, but maybe it will lead to something. Oh, yeah, it could definitely take you. It could definitely take you. But it's like an easy way right. to make the bill money. Uh-huh. Because that's the thing about New York. You just can't do one thing. You have to grind on like all the levels right. to live comfortably, not mm-hmm. just like live the regular way of like just having a roommate. But like to be in New York, no roommate alone. Uh-huh. You have to work. And do you have no roommate? Life. No, I have a roommate. Okay. I, I still I still you're, have a roommate. Striving to no yeah. roommate status. Yeah, striving to no roommate status. Just you alone paying your bills on time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It will be a good feeling. It, it'll be the best part of New York. Yeah, for sure. So um, do you want to talk about what your show is about? Uh, the show, so it's about, it's, part, it's like 80% true. Okay. It's a show explaining a black kid moving to the suburbs in a majority white community and having to understand white okay. having to learn white okay because it's not something that you just know it's something that you have to learn and a lot of people don't know that yeah but it's just like breaking down the differences that the black kids and the white kids have to go through and uh-huh. then once you're starting to learn it you realize all white people aren't rich yeah like white people also have struggles but you don't know that yeah because it's made to look like there's no problem right did you experience that in real life or is that yeah some, no that's real life when you were young yeah when i was young so i lived in the urban neighborhoods uh-huh. all, uh, all my childhood life and uh-huh. then my mom uh middle school moved to montgomery county mm-hmm. and we were like one of the only group of black people on the block okay and my mom's super light-skinned so they always mistake her for indian they don't think okay. that she's a black woman okay. for some reason i don't know um indian or ethiopian those are the two that all the white women at her job always considered her to be uh-huh. so I had to figure it out. Like, I was one of the only black kids in a lot of my classes. Mm -hmm. So I had to, like, learn white culture and figure out how to deal in their community because I wasn't used to it. Right. Yeah, you talk about it on stage a little bit about, Mm -hmm. like, realizing realizing that there's two groups of white people that hate each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right now they hate each other. Yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah, right now it's it's real tense in the white community. Um, But that's how how I'm able to talk about race so much in my jokes because it comes from a real place. Right. So I don't think I'm insulting anyone. More so I'm just revealing to both sides the differences that we both have to go through. Right, right. I didn't realize. I wasn't really, really until I moved to D.C. and was like doing comedy, Mm -hmm. I did not, I had no conception of the, the fact that most of the world that I was like walking around in was like a white world that mm-hmm. was like set up a specific way and black people that were in that world were experiencing it in a completely different mm-hmm. way. They were living just a completely different reality from what I was living in. I think, I mean, it's a, it's like a new consciousness. I mm-hmm. think that, that uh, at least liberal people have over the past, mm, I don't know, decade, maybe they, it's gradually yeah. come along. Yeah, I think it's getting better. It's, it's definitely getting better. I think it was one point where it's like they would feel uncomfortable in yeah. those settings. But I think I experienced that as a kid. Mm-hmm. So then by the time I became an adult, I'm able to deal with it quickly and pick it yeah. up. So yeah. I don't really. I, I Now it's just my job to explain people, uh-huh. to explain to the people the differences between the two. Because yeah. I think a lot of white people don't understand the black community and a lot of black people don't understand the white community. But nobody ever takes the time to learn it, to right. understand it. Yeah, and there's also like a lot of uh, a lot of just built up frustration over time, and mm-hmm. then people get the def- like. There's a lot of like there's frustration from black people, and then defensiveness from white people, mm-hmm. and it's like, and then it 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 makes it hard to just 
resolve it. Yeah, it's because they don't know how to communicate it. Right. So then it just becomes a, a thing of, well, I felt like this all these all this time, and white people did this, and white people did that, but you can't blame every specific white person for doing the well, bad things that white people did. Right. So that goes into my joke of explaining there's bad white people right. as well, and good white people don't get along with those, but if you don't <laughs> even be around them to understand, you'll never know that. You'll just look at it as... All white people are bad. Right, right. And it's understandable that you would, mm-hmm. you know. If you no, it's you, we definitely have a reason, uh-huh. but I feel like you should educate yourself on it so you can understand it more. Yeah. I, I feel like I could see you... I could see you being like a talk show host. <laughs> That's so funny. A lot of people say that. Cause yeah, cause you got, cause you've got a good perspective. Mm-hmm. You got an inspirational perspective, right? Uh-huh. Like you, you have a positive attitude. So you have a positive message. Uh-huh. You know, but you you keep it real. Like it's yeah. not, it's not just like sugarcoated. Like no. you'll say real things too, but it's from a place of positivity. Yeah, I just want it. It's all said to make people understand. Nothing uh-huh. I say, I'm not trying to offend anyone. Uh-huh. Unless someone's trying to offend me, then it's like, okay, I'll yeah. respond. But other than that, it's just like trying to learn people and use it in a way to make you laugh, but then also leave and be like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so definitely. I had a lot of Trump supporters like, yes, I'm a Trump supporter, but the way that you explained it, I appreciate that so much because it's true. Hey, that's cool. So I'm like, see, they get it. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, what else should we talk about? Maybe... Being a female in comedy? Yeah, you want to talk about that? We can do it. How has it been being a female in comedy? Um, I think that women experience a lot of behind-the-scenes problems that they don't talk about. So when they finally do talk about it, it's like, why didn't you talk about it for so long? But I don't think that they are fully able to communicate it because they think that it'll stop them from getting further in life. Like uh, if they're if they actually... Say say their say true their complaints and the problems. They're gonna get they're gonna get blowback. I think that's what they think. Be- moving to New York and talking because comics talk anyway. But sure. being in New York is like a lot of conversations. Right. So listening to the women, I picked up on it a lot. Like they don't say how they really feel uh-huh. because of a fear. Yeah. And I don't understand that part. I don't. I feel like if you're good, and you believe in yourself, you can go above and beyond all expectations that people have for you. So if you're dealing with something that you don't like or you were around four male comedians and they made you feel away, mm-hmm. I don't think you should take it home, sleep on it, and then come back outside the next day because now you're angry. Yeah. Because you didn't get it off your chest. You slept on it. So uh-huh. you allowed yourself to build up more anger. Yeah. So I think that's what a lot of problems are with women. So when they come and ask people like me, and I'm like, well, I don't experience that. Because mm-hmm. if I'm around four male comedians and they make me feel away, I'm going to say it right then and there. Yeah. Because I don't want the next woman to have to deal with this and feel like she's afraid. And I don't think there's one person that could stop how far you want to go. Mm-hmm. I think the only person that can stop how far you want to go is yourself. Yeah. Do you think you were able to do that? All, you, you From the time that you started comedy, you were always able to, to stand up for yourself that way? I think in the beginning, I was listening to a lot. I think I listened to a lot of people in the beginning. And that's when I realized... Majority of what they were telling me was bullshit. And right. if I would have believed them, I would have never made it to the point that I am. What now. were they telling you that you think would have held you back if you had listened to them? Um, as a, so guys used to say like things that you couldn't talk about on stage. So a guy would go oh. up there and do a whole 30 minutes about sex. But then when it was time for a female, it was like, don't talk about sex so much. It's like, 
why what is the fear or the problem if i talk about sex for yeah. the same amount that you talk about mm-hmm. it so some jokes i write and i like to do them in front of male comedians because it's about sex a lot and it makes them uncomfortable and i find beauty in that yeah I'm like you guys do this all the time but as soon as a woman is talking about sex it's like oh that's too much sex it's like no how, why yeah because it makes them vulnerable right because they don't want because it's like because if the woman's perspective is not out there then it's only the male perspective right. and they're safe in that. But if there is a female perspective, they can be criticized. I like that. That's what I like. Right. I, I like that issue right there. Right. And it's, I mean, it, you can still tell that it's new mm-hmm. because when you see a woman on stage talking about sex a bunch, it still feels weird. Yeah. It You're feels still weird. Like, you, wow. you don't know. Yeah. You're yeah. like, are they judging me? Should I not be You're sick? Like, because this guys, this are comedian's really over the top with this. Right. <laughs> because guys are always trying to make women comedians feel like they shouldn't say certain things yeah so i feel like between that between people from dc uh telling me what not to do mm-hmm. to be successful and they aren't successful right that was always weird to me too because i'm like how do you know what to do if you aren't successful why yeah. should i listen to, i don't want your life that's a funny thing about comedy one thing about comedy is like you can just start doing it and there's nobody to stop you yeah and then the other thing is that Everyone in comedy like has a lot of opinions so about many opinions. how to do comedy and what the right, right way to and do it is. And it starts and from the very beginning. It's like people are around for like a month and then they start having Before opinions. Before they even get on stage. Yeah. It's like, oh, that guy's not funny. When he's, and it's like, how do you know yeah. unless you do it? Right. So I think, I think it's getting better after the Me Too movement mm-hmm. for women. I think that's like a safe space and it made people feel like they have somebody that can vouch for them um so yeah, they're saying some, more some, things some form of recourse like right. something that can be done instead mm-hmm. of like feeling powerless or yeah so i think that has helped but i think it's just uh it's a thing of women just standing up for themselves mm-hmm. honestly i feel like if women just said what they wanted to say right then and there when things were happening guys would stop saying the things that they say right then and there too because it's like you're checking them at the door instead of bringing it back a, a whole entire different day mm-hmm. What advice would you give to like a young woman who's about to start doing comedy or is interested in doing it? Um, be yourself. It's like really just believe in yourself before you do it. Like getting on stage. I feel like you can ask people for help, but I don't think comedy can be taught. I think it's one of those things where like you really have to get into it to see how to do it. So I would just say, don't take advice from people who you don't deem to be successful Mm-hmm. Um, believe in yourself. Talk about what you want. Don't yeah. let anyone put you in a box to say what you can say. Whatever you want to talk about because it's your voice, do that. For like, find your voice and practice a lot. Talk yeah. to yourself. Write all the time. Even if it's stuff that you aren't going to perform, just write just to get comfortable with writing and feeling free. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good advice. Mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, I th- and I would say, look presentable. Okay. For a woman. I'll say that as well. Because I think that plays a major part because it's like, okay, you can be extremely funny, but from being in so many meetings and talking to so many women who book clubs and book festivals, they're always like, well, we don't like when women don't dress up because it's like you don't take your career serious. And they don't say that to men because you can wear a dirty T-shirt, jeans, and chucks, and you'd be the funniest guy. Right. But I feel like to stand out above all of that, at least look professional to the idea of your look yeah i think like whether you're a man or woman i think 
just having a intention about what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. What do you want to look like? Right. Like if you're gonna wear a sweatshirt, okay, that's fine. But like have a plan right. for make it your, your image. Yeah, that mm-hmm. it's gonna be. It's gonna be a thing. Like Dimitri Martin is a guy like that would wear a hoodie and a t-shirt, mm-hmm. and like that was his thing. He's like a college kid looking person, mm-hmm. and that was fine. But okay. like then there's other people who just aren't taking care of themselves. Right. Yeah, definitely. Take care of yourself. I'll say that, especially as a woman. I feel like when you look nice and you go on stage as a woman, everybody's like, what is she going to say? So I feel like even if you have that look, you're you're claiming attention before you even open your mouth. Yeah, definitely. Do you ever think about doing a podcast? I have thought about doing a podcast. I had so many people ask me to do a podcast. Like, I even had a guy just ask me to write him a help self book. And I'm just like... (laughs) It's it's all gonna come. I feel like I might yeah. do a podcast this year, um, and I also might write a help self book. I feel like it's just <laughs> ways to believe in yourself. I think people make life way harder than it is because everyone's trying to seek this validation. Right. But I feel like if people start validating themselves, they will look for less validation from others. Oh, of course, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I mean, I love the idea of a self-help book. I think that's cool. <laughs> I think a self-help podcast is cool. Self-help podcast. I like that. I think uh, I think all the ideas are, are good. I love the your pilot idea. Thank you. So I think it's exciting, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what happens with yeah, you. Yeah, next time next time we do an interview, it'll be like, so Paris, tell us how you feel since you, your, your, your pilot and your TV show has been on TV now. Yeah, so, so now you're famous. Now, what's I'm, it like being I famous? Think, I don't think I'm famous. No, not yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I get there, yeah, that'll yeah. be the next yeah, question. That's yeah. what we'll talk about yeah. next time. So what's next time, it, definitely. What's it like being a celebrity? Yeah, I can't wait to answer those questions. Because right now, I'm like, I hang around celebrities. Uh-huh. So I know what it's like to yeah. be around them. And I, I can't imagine yet. So yeah. I, I feel like I'm just walking in the steps to be able to deal with that and to stay humble. Because I think you have to stay humble a lot and but when you have so much money and you're not used to having the money it can tap into your being humble yes so i feel like you have to balance those before the money comes that's i agree to be in a good place mentally to to be ready for mm-hmm. it to be mature to, to deal with it because it's a lot to deal with it's so a much. big change it's hard to stay a normal person after that mm-hmm. but but people do it yeah, I think, and I think I'll do it. I think I'll be humble. I'll always be willing to help uh, people to follow their dreams um, and believe in themselves, and especially women. That's my whole mission, like, for women to get to a level where it's not a male-dominated industry, and then it's just a industry, yeah. like, getting to that level. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I think I think we can do it. I believe in I women. Think so. I think women 2020, we got this. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for being here, Paris. Thank you for having me, Sean. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.